Hello and welcome to episode number nine of Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all for joining us once again this week, wherever you are listening. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Now, it is very much a back to regular programming this week with a man who's been a part of the Australian team now for almost a decade. Of course, I'm talking about Thomas Fraser Holmes. Caught up with Thomas last week and had a great chat about the highs and lows of his swimming career so far, how he has stayed so consistent over a long period of time. We also discuss how he's coping through the self-isolation period. Now, let's not wait any longer to get the show started. So grab some snacks, set aside about 45 minutes of your schedule today and turn the volume all the way up because episode number nine of Off The Block starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Oh, he's blowing him away now. Thorpe's gone more than a metre on Van der Noten's hand. But the sinister of all eyes is the great Madam Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. He's coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Chavis in the white hats, Phelps in the black hats, and Phelps has got it. I cannot believe he's done that. Thorpe to Thorpe, Thorpe for the hall, Thorpe goes in. Joining us today on the show is a man who has been a part of the Australian team now for the last decade, making his debut back in 2010. Since then, he's gone on to have a hugely successful international swimming career, earning himself three medals from World Champs, three from Pampax, and five from the Commonwealth Games. It's a very big welcome to Off The Block Swimming Podcast to Thomas Fraser Holmes. How are you, mate? Good, Robbie. Thanks for having me, mate. Not a trouble at all, mate. Now, for all the listeners out there, I'm coming to you today from our studios in Sydney. Uh, It's a pretty rainy, uh, depressing day down here, mate. Where have we caught you today? <laughs> well, I'm on the sunny Gold Coast. There never seems to be uh, too many rainy days up here, but today we're lucky enough to have 26 degrees, sunny, not really a cloud in the sky. So, yeah. Just beautiful living day. The, living the dream. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Mate, how are you going at the moment with all of this self isolation stuff, and, and how have you been coping? I know I've seen a what? few of the Aussie swimmers, they're doing stuff on Instagram, they've got all these challenges and stuff going, trying to stay connected. I mean, how are you finding it all? Yeah, it's definitely, it's it's a weird period. It's obviously nothing like this has ever happened before, you know, in modern times. It's, you know, anything is health-related. So the only thing you can think of is probably around, you know, the war times of an Olympics being postponed. But I think for myself, just getting um, in a daily routine and um, now that we sort of have a date of when the Olympics is going to be, it's that's a bit more... Um, clarity around a very uncertain situation in time, I guess. So, um, just looking at it from a perspective of it's it's not a marathon. I mean, it's it's not a sprint. It's a marathon yeah. type training feel at the moment. You can you know you don't want to be super motivated the first the first week and go out and do everything you possibly can the first week and then come week two, three, four, five, six, however long it's going to be, you don't really do much. So I think it's just being measured in your approach and um, probably a little bit more conservative at the start of um, this period that we're in now and um, and just really, I guess, just taking the time to process it all and, and being comfortable with almost 
not being comfortable with your daily routine, your weekly yeah. routine. I think that's very important just to be able to sit back and, and just take a breath for a couple of days and really just let it not sit, like you kind of let it sit in, set it, sink in, sorry, and, and just process all the emotions that come with that, with the uncertainty and, and trying to get as much comfortability with those emotions as you possibly can. And then um, once you know a bit more, dates sort of get set in stone and things start trickling along for this really um, difficult time for a lot of people. It's just, you know, once, you, like I said, a bit more clarity comes about, then you can start moving forward, I guess. Hey, have you and your coach been staying connected? Have you guys been on Zoom? Have you, as a team, have you been getting together for meetings? or? Uh, we have a WhatsApp group that everyone sort of, um, I guess, screenshots their, their workout that they've been doing every day and sends it into the group chat. So people keep um, connected through that. And then there's obviously social media and all those types of things. I'm, I'm sure you've seen the, the push-up challenge. Yeah which has been quite good. So just little things like that. And, um, you know, I think I, I speak to Bali probably once a week and um, that's my coach, sorry, Michael Bowl. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably speak to him. I spoke to him yesterday for about 20 minutes. So just keeping in touch and, you know, there's no right or wrong formula in these, in these times. I think when I had my, um, my year out of the sport in 2017, it really taught me how to train on my own. So I feel like I have a little bit of a, experience and a little bit of um knowledge from 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 that period so um yeah just all just keeping connected and staying positive and then just trying to navigate and be you know be with your loved ones i guess but separated yeah yeah <laughs> Mate, give us a little insight you, you say you've had a bit of experience there with sort of training on your own and so many junior athletes and coaches listen to this podcast Give us a little insight into what you do for your home dry land program. What does that look like? Um, well, my daily routine at the moment sort of looks like, um, you know, wake up in the morning, have some breakfast, and then get my exercise. I might go for a walk or I might go for a, a surf um, that I've been doing the last week or so, but I'm not really sure how long it's going to last for. Mm. Um, and then come home and... I've got a little gym set up at home. I just got a, a, a few dumbbells. Uh, I got some med balls. I got a stationary bike. I've got my therabands. Um, I've also got um, some of those um, therabands that you can use on dry land for that sort of mimic the swimming action. I've got mm -hmm. a bit of those. So I'm just really trying to incorporate um, as much as familiarity as possible so that's obviously core work some some glute work making sure that um i'm also on top of my shoulder stuff that i've had um tendinopathy in my left shoulder for the past 18 months um so making sure that i'm just on top of that so it's just really trying to keep those tendons loaded through this time as well not um deloading them so much for when you get back in the pool and then then you're more susceptible to injury. So I think it's just about doing a lot of rehab type stuff and then also fitting in your cardio, cardiovascular work around that when you can, whether that might be a run or a walk or if you've got a stationary bike or whatever that might be, um, doing something like that and then also incorporating your 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 rehab stuff, so your rotator cuffs, your, um, your glute activation, all those types of things, your core work that... Um, you know, they're so, so important in the pool. But when that time does come to trans transition back in the pool, that you're as well equipped as you possibly can 
to be able to transition back into normal training. Mm. Mate, yeah. A lot of us, um, you know, at the moment, we're stuck in the houses with our loved ones and uh, it's presenting its own challenges, my house especially. Is there, yeah. is there any Australian team member that you wouldn't want to get stuck in isolation with? Oh, oh what a question. <laughs> um, uh, I was rooming with Kyle Chalmers and Alex Graham at this year's world, at last year's World Championships, and they were pretty fun. So um, it'd be fun, you know, being in isolation with those guys. Yeah. Um, but in terms of not being with someone, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I know my old roommate back in the day at the London Olympics, Ryan Napoleon, he used to snore like there was no tomorrow. So um, that was probably one you don't want to be isolated with if you sleep in the same room. But um, there's probably a lot of fun people I'd want to room with yep. or be isolated with, yeah. You're too nice, mate. You're too nice. I was, I was looking for some dirt there, but yeah, you stayed clear. Well done. Um, mate, doing my research on you, I noticed that you're actually born in New South Wales, Newcastle to be exact. Uh, yep. How long were you down there before you moved up to Queensland? And does this mean that you go for New South Wales in the yeah. state of origin? But more importantly for me, being a Newcastle fan, does this mean that you go for the Knights? Absolutely. I um, oh, I was obviously born born and raised in Newcastle. I started my swimming career there from, the, you know, basically the day that I was born. I was in the water pretty much and then, I was up, it was in Newcastle, did all my schooling and, and junior swimming through Newcastle at the Hunter Club and the Charlestown Swimming Club. And then as I got to that 16 sort of age, I started to become quite successful in the junior ranks. And um, the time came that I actually got an, an opportunity to trial at the ALS in Canberra. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did a two-week trial in Canberra in 2008 with um, Vince Rally when he was still there. And I came back from Canberra and I, and, I, and I loved it. And I just wanted to, you know, continue my swimming and, and see how far I could really take it. I, I was lining up a plumbing apprenticeship in Newcastle um, before I was going to um, try and maybe chase my swimming career. So I was essentially, do I want to, you know, start a plumbing career or do I want to go and chase my, you know, swimming career and how far I could, I could, I could take that. So... I ended up doing that when I was 16. I moved out of home at 16 and moved down to Canberra. Um, I spent, I think it was roughly about two years down there from 2008 till 2010. And then um, my coach, Vince, at the time, I think he took the national youth head coach role. And then, um, so I was obviously looking for a new coach. And then I've always wanted to train under Dennis Cottrell at Miami. Yep. Um, so I came up here and did a trial and I ended up loving it um, here on the Gold Coast and um, have been here ever since. Really, I spent from 2010 to 2000 and end of 2016 with Dennis, which was fantastic. And then um, getting back to your question, I am definitely still a <laughs> Nova Castor at heart and a Newcastle Knights fan. I've always loved the Knights from the Joey John, Matty John's days, all yeah. the way up till now. So um, yeah, never always bleed blue and red. That's for sure. Tell you what, being a Knights fan, it teaches you resilience, doesn't it? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think growing up in Newcastle teaches you a lot of resilience just to start with. So, um, yeah, it's been a tough couple of years for us, but I think we're on track to do pretty well, hopefully, when the season gets back Mate, underway. look at us go. Two from two, and they cancel the comp. I know. Stop the comp. <laughs> Please. Stop the comp. <laughs> I, hear, I hear they're doing really well, though, the Knights. I hear they're, 
Adam O'Brien's come in and done a really good job. Got him pretty fit, which is good. Oh, they were looking good. Yeah. Mate, uh, what did you enjoy most about swimming as a youngster? Um, the thing I probably enjoyed the most was probably just hanging with my friends and going to swimming with my friends. I was I was big into the surf life saving scene, scene when I was um, a bit younger from about 11 to sort of 16 years of age bracket. Um, I loved that and all my friends were doing that. So it was just something, you know, it was a place that you could go and, and I'd do some exercise and do something fun, but also go and hang with your friends and um, just have a good time. That's probably the biggest thing that looking back on it now is that I really enjoyed those, those years. I really enjoyed... Um, those sort of those memories and I didn't really take it too seriously until I was a bit older and I think that 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 gave me a little bit of longevity yeah um so yeah probably just the friendship and the mateship that I had growing up was was awesome yeah were you a natural in the pool as a youngster or is that something you sort of had to work on and as you matured you sort of came into your own I think I always had great feel for the water I always had um you know good mates and good um, good technical skills, which was which always helped when you were younger. You could get away with a lot more if you were technically quite sound. Yeah. Um, which I was, you know, I always had a you know, good feel for the water, but um, I think I had a really good work ethic instilled in me from a very young age. So whatever I did, whether it was surf life saving training or swimming training or if it was rugby league training, rugby union training, I always had a good work ethic. And I think that really translated and that's probably what, attracted me to the sport even more was 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 that you know you, you only get in what you you only get out what you put in sorry yeah, yeah. um so yeah yeah uh, who were your heroes growing up which swimmers did you look up to um to be honest i didn't really look up to many swimmers obviously justin norris was a huge one in in growing up in newcastle but i I sort of, I was a big fan of like the Uncle Toby's because Uncle Toby's was really big back in the day of, you know, the Kai Hurst, the Trevor Hendy's, mm. um, the jo- Josh Blair, he was quite big in Newcastle back then. Um, but I, I was sort of, you know, I was into my rugby league because I was from Newcastle. So the Johns Brothers, the Knights were, you know, always someone he looked up to. So I didn't really have many swimming people that I really looked up to. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that just comes back to that having doing a lot of different things when I was younger which is a good um, thing as you said I yeah sort of a you know goes towards the long, longevity in your career absolutely I think you know you see a lot of kids these days I think they they specialize too young um, into one sport I'm not saying it's swimming I'm just, you know just mm. in in you know could be tennis could be soccer could be whatever I think they some kids specialise a little bit too young and they get a little bit too serious too quickly. Um, so I think that one thing for me that was the biggest thing, as you were saying, is just help me with that longevity is that I did a lot of things. I was always active and I know it's probably a good way for my parents to keep me out of the house, I guess, yeah. when I was younger. <laughs> Mate, you said before that, you know, your motivation, or not motivation, but the thing you enjoyed most was about being around your teammates and, and the fun of it all. When did things start to become a little bit more competitive and serious for you? Around what age? Um, probably that 16, 17 years of age when I um, when I went down to the AIS for the first time. I was, I was 16, going just on 17, um, when I joined Vince's squad in Canberra, and I had 
there was there was probably about eight or nine people. There was Bobby Hurley, there was Ash Delaney, there was Pat Murphy, Brenton Rickard, um, Kirk Palmer, and there was a few other guys there. Um, Nick Frost. They'd just come back from from the Beijing Olympics, and all those guys had medals. Yeah. And then there was me that walked in, you know, 16, 17-year-old kid from Newcastle, not, you know, not really taking the sport that seriously. And I had all, you know, a lot of talent, obviously, to get a scholarship down there. And I, I sort of just followed those guys around for about a year and a half. And I, I picked up so many good habits and good traits just from, from being in that environment. And I think over that sort of 18-month 18 18 period for when I was 16 and 17, I really picked up just really how to train mm. whereas back home I, I could sort of get away with missing a couple of sessions here and there but when i went down there that's when i really took my swimming seriously and i and i really saw those my personal best times come down significantly um so probably around that 16 and 17 years of age mark um that's probably when i took it a lot more serious because I, I was sort of moved 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 states moved down to canberra and sort of forced me to do that yeah i mean you talk there about some of the things that you you learned i want to press you a little bit more on specific things that you learned you made the junior australian team in 2009 for the pan packs um but you know obviously there's as you said there was a transition period of things you needed to learn what specifically did those guys teach you that you didn't sort of already have in your own program well the 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 first thing that comes to mind was just was just because swimming training starts at, for example, six o'clock, those guys were there at 5.30 doing their rehab, doing their stretching, doing their core work, doing their activation before they got in the pool. Mm. Um, Whereas, you know, if you come from an environment where you just rock up five minutes before the training session starts and you get in and you're out straight away, it was just those little things like that and then staying back after training, 15, 20 minutes working on, you know, areas that you you might be tied in um you know just doing little things like that taking the time to go and do your your ice bath taking the time to go and um, have your recovery shake having the right meal just just doing those those things around training which i still do to this day Mm. has taught me so much um throughout my career and i've just tweaked it along the way throughout my career but i think and that's why I, I really, truly believe that the AIS was, that's where it was its, its most benefit and powerful is that they had the ability to have the, the top-notch elite athletes there. And they also had they also had kids coming in and learning off the best guys. So then the next generation was learning off, you know, Olympians, Olympic medalists. And it just sort of all just kept flowing that, 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 um, that turnover of athletes was just always there and it was just it was just a machine of just turning over athletes and and world-class athletes Mm and teaching them really good habits so um and the other thing i really learned from from vince was really how to not work hard but work smart yeah you know hitting learning what stroke rates were learning how to um count my strokes and pace sets learning how to really analyze technique and analyze you know turn time and and underwater footage and all those type of things i've never even seen before so coming from a essentially a country town like newcastle these were just it was like every session i was just learning something so i was just getting better and better and better and better and i think that really increased and sped, sped up my development as a swimmer 
Mate, what was it like living down in Canberra? I mean, it's, it's certainly not Newcastle. How, how did you handle that change? Um, to be honest, I loved it. I, I, I was living with, we had an apartment of six. I was living with Tommaso de Sonia. Um, at the start, I was living with Matt Cowdery, Hayden Stokel, James Roberts was there. Um, so I was living with, you know, essentially some really good friends. Yeah. So it was, and I was, I was the sort of kid that was kind of itching to get out of home. I, I sort of wanted to, you know, go and forge my own path and, and, and really go and see what the world was all about. So I was kind of ready to leave home and, and, and go out and see the world. So I was kind of happy to have my own space and, and, and move out and, and, and go and see the world. So, um, in terms of being in Canberra, I loved it. You know, it was such a, it was such a sporty town. It was, you know, I was living with swimmers. I was living with, um, athletics guys, basketball guys. I was living with the gymnasts, the tennis players. So it was, and all those people were around my age as well, that, you know, 16 to 18 to 19 years of age. Mm-hmm. So it was really, it was a really, I look back on those times and I, and I, you know, have a lot of really good memories on, on, on those years. And I just really hope that we can get back to that in Australian sport sometime because I've, like I said before, I think it's, it, it speeds up people's development and, and, and teaches them good things and takes um, people to the next level, I feel. Hey, you said there before that uh, you moved from the AES to go train in Miami with a super coach, Dennis Cottrell. What was it like yeah. uh, learning in that training environment and how was that different? Um, it, it's totally different. It was polar opposites. It was um, Vince was probably more your plan. He was Vince's best thing about Vince is he's very well organized and he, and his planning and his, and his attention to detail is, is absolutely amazing. And mm-hmm. there wasn't anything you did for without a purpose. Yeah. And then with Dennis, it was, it was sort of amazing on the, on the other end because it was sort of the way Dennis explained things and, and the knowledge that I gained about the technical side of, um, a stroke like freestyle was was second to none, and I don't think that I've come across anyone that explains or, or demonstrates the stroke of freestyle and the mechanics of freestyle. Anyone probably better than what Dennis did, and I think Dennis, his although it was very very tough, and some of the sessions that I, you know, that I have in my logbook would probably blow a lot of people's hair backs, <laughs> but um, he also was probably. Although he would give you the toughest sessions you'd ever think of, imagine doing, he would also have your back no matter what. Yeah. And I think that's that's not rare, but I think that's a ve- it's a very rare trait um, to see in in some coaches. And he would literally go into battle for you. You know, if you turn up the training, you put your all in, and you you know give it everything you got and you get that handshake at the end of the session or end of the hard training block, you know that that means a lot. Mm. And I think um, it's just two different styles of training. And um, I think the stuff that I learned from being in Canberra, I I took to my time with Dennis about, you know, getting in before training and doing my rehab and activation, all those really good things that I learned. I took that across to Miami days and and I think that worked really well and I, I saw some really good 
results there and I've, I've still got all my personal best times under Dennis. So um, it was just a really – the period that I was there at Miami was just a really fun, hard-working environment to be in. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's the difference, but they're both unbelievably good. Yeah. Mate, 2010 was a big year for you. You got yourself onto the Australian team for the Pampax and Commonwealth Games. Must have been a big moment for you making your first senior teams. Yeah, it was oh, 10 years ago, so it's pretty hard to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember actually the day that I made the Australian team, the first day, that, the day that I qualified was the 400 IM. And I, and I had a phone call that day that you might remember that um, at the Australian Southwest Saving Championships on the Gold Coast, one of my good friends, Saxon, had passed away at that championships. Mm. And so I remember Vince calling me up um, between heats and finals saying, you know, we've got some tough news for you. Your friend, Saxon, has just passed away. And I was like, what? Like, what is what is happening here? Like, what what's going on? And then I had to emotionally pull myself back together and, and, and go back to the finals and, and try and qualify for my first Australian team. And I think um, there was a bit of mixed emotions because I was obviously devastated and very upset, but at the same time I've achieved something that I've been training for my entire life. Mm. So I think <clears throat> that was, it was a real weird, re- weird kind of feeling. I remember um, being so happy, but so devastated at the same time and um we went on to Pampax and Commonwealth Games later in that year and I swam really well which was awesome um and then things just sort of started going from there I guess mate did anyone take you under their wing on those trips was there any sort of senior member that looked after you um yeah there was a lot of guys I mean um because I was at that LAS group, I had the likes of Brent Rickard, Ash Delaney, who's now coaching. Yeah. Um, I had Pat Murphy. Ash Callis was really close. Um, I was really good friends with Eamon Sullivan back then, and well, I still am now, but you know, those older guys really took me under their wings because I was sort of 18 and probably still wet behind the ears and mm. didn't really know the international scene that well because it was probably one of my first times that I went overseas with swimming, so... Yeah, it was good fun. My first trip, one of my first trips was to New Delhi, which was an eye-opening experience as well. So, yeah, how'd that go? How, how, did, how did your stomach hold up? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I, I it was one of the facts of that. I'd never been overseas that much, and you know, anywhere that I was going to go was going to be amazing because it was one of my first times overseas, and it was with the Australian swimming team. So it was, it was already awesome. You know, it had to be. Um, a pretty bad trip for me to say it wasn't good. So yeah. um, I absolutely loved it. Mate, you qualify for your first Olympics in 2012 for London. Uh, you make the finals for both the 200 free and the 400 IM, finishing seventh, I think, in both of those. Yeah. How, how do you look back on your first Olympics? It's funny because I was, it came up, I was on YouTube a couple of days ago and the, the tournament of freestyle for men freestyle final came up. Um, from London and I was there with, with Jess, my fiance, and we're just, we're sort of watching and I was like, wow, like this, I was going through the names in that final and there was already, you know, five Olympic gold medalists in that final. And there was, 
there was um, there was a Robbie Rennick and, and a Russian guy that were already really good. And then there was me and Lane Eight, and I was sort of thinking like, wow, like um, how cool is this? And to look back on it now, it's pretty cool. But they had a they had a bit of footage of me because I was in Lane Eight on the side of the pool and. I remember my hands being so nervous, and when they said "take your marks," that my hands were still clenched, like clenched up, yeah, because I was so nervous I couldn't feel my fingers. Um, when they said "take your marks," and I said to said to Jess, I was like, "This is how nervous I was that I had, like, I couldn't open my hands because I had tingles in my fingers." And then, you know, just watching that race and 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 being able to relive it and um, is is really quite special. Mate, so much these days is made of like pre-race rituals and and getting yourself in the right headspace before a race. What do you like before a race? Are you you know Mister Cool, calm, collected, or you know do you get yourself pumped up and ready to explode? Um, I probably go through stages. You know, like before I just you know when you're really young, you want to be pumped up and ready to go. But I think now getting a bit older and a bit I don't know wiser, I guess that I just like to be a bit more calm and focus on what needs to be done rather than trying to get to a state where you know you're just so pumped up you're ready to go type thing Mm. and i just i'm at the stage now where i really want to enjoy racing and i really want to be able to just nail nail the race plan um so i think um for me now just just being relaxed and, and just focus on on what needs to be done do you have a favourite pre-race playlist? Is there some music you listen to before you you go out there? Um, I don't I don't really listen to music anymore. Um, I don't know. Yeah, just poor. I don't know something from Newcastle like Silverchair or Screaming Jets or something like that. <laughs> Silverchair is <laughs> a throwback. <laughs> um, mate, good 20- old Newy. Yeah, exactly. Between 2012 and 2017, you have some massive meets and moments. And rather than me go yep. through each one and, 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 you know, drag this out another two or three hours, because let's be honest, yep. you know, you have some pretty good moments between there. I'm going to throw yep. a meet and a year at you, and then you just tell me what stands out the most to you about that meet. Um, um, so 2013 World Champs in Barcelona. Yep. What stands out about that one? Um... Oh, nothing exciting. <laughs> that was kind of an average meet for me. Um, uh, That's right. Probably can... making 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 finals there was 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 yeah. still really good. I think we were pretty disappointing in the relay there, um, from memory. But um, yeah, made a couple of finals, which was awesome. Cool, cool city. <laughs> 20, <laughs> 2014 Com Games in Glasgow. Yeah, that was a that was a, that's where I spent my PBs. I had the the two hundred three and the four hundred IM on the same night, and I think I just went with my my personal best one forty five zero in the in the two hundred three, and then forty five minutes later I went four eleven in the four hundred medley and got second. Um, so that was really cool, really special. Uh, Twenty fourteen yep. Pampax Gold Coast, uh, your now hometown. Yeah, that's. Um, I remember before the tournament freestyle final, it was. They went to say, you know, they read out all the names and everyone's on pool deck and they. Everyone, as you know, you take your clothes off and you get up behind the blocks and everyone's ready to go and they say, take your marks, go. And 
everyone, it was so cold and raining that everyone just sat there behind their blocks with their coats on looking at each other going, well, who's going to take this stuff off first? Because I'm not going to take mine off first. And I remember the referee having to blow their whistle and going, you know, and then literally the, the, the judges behind us had to go, all right, come on, guys, let's go, time to race. And everyone just sort of was looking at each other going, I'm not taking mine off, but I'm not taking my jacket off. So that was probably a cool memory and obviously worked out in my favour, which was good. So um, that was a pretty cool memory, yeah. Mate, what about 2016 Olympics in Rio? Um, highs and lows, really cool meet. There was a lot of, you know, unbelievable swims there. Um, I was probably just a little bit off where I wanted to be um, in the ballpark, but not up in the medals where I wanted to be. Um, yeah, it was, you know, you know, take nothing back from that meet. Um it was all the preparation was really good. Um, yeah, it was um, Rio's are definitely a fun city. Now, mate, 2017, you receive a 12 month ban from FINA, which rules you mm-hmm. out of a home Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast. How difficult yep. was this period for you? Um, it was pretty, it was, it was difficult. It was one of those um, just to just to let people know out there, I, I missed um, three uh, random drug tests in the space of 12 months. So if you have um, three strikes in within a 12 month, 12 month period, um, you get sanctioned. And I was sanctioned by, um, I was sanctioned by FINA and I was ineligible to compete for 12 months. Um, so I therefore missed, um, the 2017 World Championships and the 2018 Commonwealth Games. So that was obviously um, a very unique and um, difficult time in my swimming career, Um, but it was also a really good opportunity for me to, I guess, take a step back or a forced step back from the pressure cooker that is, you know, the swimming world and, and being able to um, just just really reflect on on myself and I think people have reality checks in all walks of life at, at some point in life and you know I look at it as a, you know I was lucky enough to have a, re, a really big reality check when, at, a, at a relatively young age mm. and it just made me look back and and kind of just give myself an uppercut and, you know, really assess what I'm doing and if if I really wanted, if this is really what I wanted to do with my, my life and swimming and um, I feel a big contributor for me missing those tests was, um, you know, the love for the sport was probably not where it needed to be and where I wanted it to be for me to be successful in the pool. Mm. Um, so that was just, it was the time for me to look at myself and, and, and say, what, where do you want to go? Like, what, what direction do you want to go? Do you want to keep swimming or do you want to move on with life? Um, and it was got to a point where I had to make a decision. It was either one or the other. I couldn't be in limbo and I, and I chose to finish my swimming career the way that I really wanted to. And that was to finish with an Olympic medal 
in 2020, which is now obviously 2021. Yeah, yeah. So um, everything that I did and decisions I made were around being my absolute best at the next Olympics. And um, I think I ended up getting a suspension in June. That started in June. So I took a couple of months off. And then because I couldn't swim with an accredited coach or um, train at an accredited coach's time slot or be coached, by anyone with accreditation so i had to be really creative on how i planned my um six months leading into my suspension finishing yeah um so there was a lot of um i was doing 60k weeks on my own um in the pool getting trying to get fit again and um that was probably um you know i come out the other side of that yeah um, so it was a very, just a very um, good time for reflection that period. Yeah, well, mate, 2018, yeah. you moved programs and you start training at Griffith University uh, with another Aussie super coach, Michael Bowl. Um, yep. You just mentioned there with that self-reflection. Is, is that sort of what brought about this change? In terms of what? Changing programs and, and moving over? Um, so I... I moved to, to, to Bowley when my suspension had finished. I was previously with Richard Scarce at Bond University before, prior to my suspension and yeah. then obviously couldn't train with anyone. So then Michael Bowl moved to the Gold Coast and, um, you know, I've always been a massive, you know, fan or I'm a fan, but I've always really wanted to train with, with Bowley because um, he's had so many amazing swimmers over the years and, um that I guess was a really good opportunity for me to to be able to make the changes that need to be made and then keep moving forward leading up to the to the Tokyo Olympics and um, yeah it was just it was just a really good um, really good good change and and Bolly's Bolly in his own right has been probably the best person for me at my stage of my career he really as a people person and he cares about the athlete a lot um so that that's been awesome mate credit and power to you because as i said 2018 um you you make your comeback and you make the world short course team uh, upon your comeback and you get a silver medal yep. uh, in yep. that one and then you go on 2019 and you make the team again and you go to the world champs uh, south korea and you come away with a gold in the four by two and and you do well individually as well how proud are you of of what you sort of went through you know in 2017 how you handled it and then ultimately you know this comeback and which you know for for us looking from the outside in looked as if you know you hadn't been gone at all really yeah well that yeah that's um looking back on it now it's like if i, if I hadn't done if I hadn't made my decision very crystal clear on what I wanted to do in, in terms of coming back to the sport, I don't think I would have been in the position to be able to medal at the World Shore course in 2018 or make the team in 2019. So I think that period of solo training and doing all those hard mileage on my own really helped me lay the platform for me to be able to, to do that. Mm. Um 
but looking back on it now, you you know, especially when we have some time to reflect now in this in this period that we're in now, you you do look back and you go, well, you know, you have come a long way, and I think swimmers sometimes are guilty of always looking for the next challenge and the all and the next the next meet or the next goal, and I think sometimes it's it's good just to be able to sit and reflect and sometimes give you give yourself a pat on the back and say that you've you've done a good job. Um, so yeah, I read somewhere during my research. I try to be very well researched that um, <laughs> that you'd like to be a coach when you hang up the togs. Is that is that still the case? Yeah, absolutely. That was um, it's it's still the the ultimate goal. I'm I'm getting to that point now where um, I'm almost wanting to see. I love seeing people succeed more than yourself mm. and i kind of find myself looking at people's you know stroke technique and those types of things at meets and and you know rather than seeing it from an athlete's perspective i'm starting to see it from a coach's perspective now i guess a little bit but i still have some unfinished business as an athlete that i want to definitely want to you know achieve first but that coaching world just really excites me and it really excites me to to work with you know, people that are motivated and, and, you know, want to have the career in swimming. And I don't think that I haven't crossed the bridge. You know, I feel like I've done everything in the sport and been through all the highs and lows that you could possibly go through in swimming. And that's something that I'm really keen to pass on and mm. hopefully can help some, some guys get to some pretty good results in the future. Now, mate, you've been on a few Aussie teams now. You've been to Commonwealth Games, World Champs, Olympics, etc. And I want to find out a little bit more about the Australian team for our listeners out there. So yeah. I'm going to give you a sentence. I'm going to give you the start of the sentence. And I want you to uh, finish it for me with the name of a swimmer on the team that you think best suits it. So yep. we'll start with funniest person on the Australian team is. Alex Graham. Alex Graham. Good one-liners? Just all-around funny. <laughs> Mate, what about the biggest pest? And I know you're a nice guy before and you stayed away from it, but come on. is it Who is the biggest pest on the team? Is there someone that just constant? David David Morgan's a bit of a pest. David Morgan. That's fantastic because <laughs> he, he's on the show in three days' time, so I'll, I'll, I'll let him know. <laughs> He'll have something smart to say about that. So He'll have a comeback for that. Hey, what about the leader or leaders of the team? Um, I think someone like True Actions, uh, Kyle Chalmers, is is you know the way he he sort of carries himself on pool deck and the way that he swims. I think you can you can sort of see the resemblance of someone like a Grant or an or an Ian Fort back in the day, where they just have that that presence and and that whatever it takes to get on my, my hand on the wall first attitude, I really think that that is really inspiring to be around and inspiring for the team and Australian swimming in, as a whole. Mm. Um, so he's one that I, you know, he probably doesn't consider himself as a leader, but he leads in his own right, which I think everyone in the team does that. Everyone's a leader in their own right. Everyone has their attributes and... Um, their sort of way of contributing to a team goal. Mm. Um, another one would probably be Kate Campbell. She's been on the team since 2000 and 
<clears throat> eight, I think it is, and I think she medaled in the 53 in 2008. So I think people like her and Kyle and Emily Seabon, she's been around for 13, 2007, we're talking about here, if she mm. made her Australian team debut. So just people like that have got a lot of skin in the game and just got a lot of knowledge and just know how to know how to to do what's needed in the in the most critical times is um is you know like i said everyone's got their own attributes and everyone needs them their own way so they're probably just a few people that i'd probably look at as leaders mate what about the best singer or dancer singer i tell you what bronte campbell if you get her on the podcast she'll Ask if she, she can write your poem or, or something like that. She's really good. I know every year she does a poem and she reads to the team before we race and it's really gives you chills every time she does one because it's so in-depth and um, um, and just really cool. So I don't know awesome. about singers, but that's probably something a little bit different. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. We'll have to try and get yeah. Bronte up for that. Um, and, mate, finally, what about the person who gives the best advice? Um, best of, I think everyone gives best of, you know, everyone's got a bit of advice that you can take. I think I'm a big believer and everyone's got something to contribute and, um, I feel like I'm a pretty good listener and I feel that, um, you know, everyone's got something to offer. So I don't think there's one person that can give you the best advice. I think, you know, take advice from everyone is probably best advice. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I think we'll wrap it up there. Um, thank you so much for agreeing to come on for a chat, mate. I really appreciate it and taking the time out no to problems. share some of your stories. And good luck over the next few months, mate, in isolation and staying motivated and ultimately, you know, getting back in the pool and trying to secure that spot for 2021. Um, yeah. Hopefully. Um, no, you're right. Go for it. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, Robbie. It's, um, it's definitely a crazy period and a crazy time. I just hope you can all do our bit to, to get through this thing and I know we will but I think you know if we all pull together and and, and, and do what needs to be done I, I think we're going to come out the other side pretty good and everyone just stay safe I guess that makes great words uh, thank you very much once again mate for coming on Off the Block Swimming Podcast no worries thanks Robbie Today's episode is proudly powered by ProSwim Workouts. For more information on how to get involved, please visit the website at proswimworkouts.com. Now, our next episode is coming your way on Tuesday, the 21st of April. And yes, it will drop on a Tuesday. And truth be told, the reason is I'm doing so many great interviews right now at the moment. I just am too impatient and I want you guys to hear them straight away. So, EP10 is with Queensland and Australian age group superstar Sam Short. Now, Sam's is a great story that you will not want to miss because he is currently knocking off a lot of records held by some great names of our sport like Mac Horton, Grant Hackett in the 8 and 1500 meter freestyles. Till then, though, have an awesome weekend. Stay 1.5 meters apart. Always wash your hands for 20 seconds. And it's bye for now.